Welcome into the Gumprunners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell here with you tonight. It is officially Tennessee week for the University of Alabama homecoming week. There's nothing sweeter and there's nothing sucks like a big orange, Lester. Um, I know, you know, we say this every year, but I know you're relatively new to the Alabama fan base. You've only been a fan about, you know, 11 or 12 years. You didn't get the luxury of going through the Mike Shuley years and, you know, Dennis Franchoni, um, the short Mike Price era, <laughs> you know, even the end of Mike Dubos era. So, um, but you understand the hatred for Tennessee that revolves around this university. And, um, you know, knowing me for over a, or for a decade now, you really know that I can't stand the University of Tennessee. Um, that was instilled in me when I was a young pup, um, a, a young bammer. Uh, my dad has always hated Tennessee and he taught me how to hate Tennessee. So especially the kids that that have fathers that that hated Tennessee and grew up Alabama fans and got to know the Bear or got to follow Alabama throughout at least some of the Bear Bryant years um, because Bear Bryant really hated Tennessee, uh, hated him worse than he hated Auburn, and um, therefore all the older older generation Bama fans cannot stand Tennessee and. You know, a, a lot of them did what, what my father did was uh, that, you know, they taught their kids to hate Tennessee, too. So here we stand. It's Tennessee week. I'll play Rocky Top all week just to make myself sick of it. Um, but it, it sure is sweet. You know, once you beat them 14 years in a row, hopefully 15 coming up after Saturday, um, you know, that that cigar sure does taste sweet. Lester, um Tennessee week, man, just, hey, I guess the most important question, have you gotten your cigar yet? I have not. I was actually um, talking with a coworker earlier this morning, and I was like, dang, I got to forget. I got to find a cigar shop because I I can't go to my normal spot in Tuscaloosa that I usually go to. So I got to find one uh, up here in the Birmingham area close to me, and I'll be sure to take my time and pick out a nice one for the game Saturday. Gosh, okay. So, how, how old were you the last time Tennessee beat Alabama? I think it was, I believe it was two thousand and six. What? Were you thirteen? Forty nine. So, fourteen months. Twenty nine is fifteen. I oh, you were born in ninety three. You there? Yeah, I'm, no. I was born in nineteen ninety two. Okay, ninety two. So yeah, you're yeah you're fourteen. Um, I was fourteen as well. Um, I it's been a while, dude, and uh, I actually haven't my, gotten my cigar either. But uh, I heard another radio station say that you know Alabama fans are so cocky. The second drive, they're already lighting them up in the stadium. These last fourteen years, because you know this rivalry has not 
been close. Um, they're asking the damn coaches. I think they asked Nick Saban and Josh Heupel um, today, I believe, in their uh, last press conferences of the week, if if the rivalry still means anything and if it's even still a rivalry. And, I mean, of course they're going to say yes. I mean, what coach is going to say, no, not really. But in, in reality, you know, it hasn't been a competition. And, um, you know, before this 14-week or 14-game – sorry, 14-year stretch, um, this series was really close. This has always been a back-and-forth series. It's a series of streaks. Uh, Tennessee will rattle off five, six, seven in a row. Out of Alabama will rattle off, you know, seven, eight, nine in a row. And uh, that's kind of how it's been throughout history until Nick Saban arrived at Alabama. Never lost to Tennessee. But let's, let's go back to last week, Alabama um, playing their – Second straight game away from Bryant-Denny Stadium, having to go back on the road after the heartbreaking loss um, at the hands of Texas A&M out there in College Station. They had to turn around, go back on the road, just a short bus trip up um, up 80, Highway 82 to Starkville, Mississippi. And um, a, a lot of people were nervous about this game. We're not – maybe not nervous, but um, curious. And I was one of those – I was curious to see how this team was going to react because, you know, we talked last week about – about how Nick Saban teams in the past that have lost early and had a chance to play their way back in um, to a BC, BCS national championship or college football playoff, they come out with a different mindset and they stay consistent in that mindset and accomplish their goal. Um, we referenced 2012 and 2015. Um, but, you know, we understand this is a different era of kids, really is. And, uh, you know, the, the, the generation of kids, are, they're, they're a lot softer. Um, you know, they're a lot more self-centered. And, you know, it's just – and the way Alabama recruits, we talked about this before, you know, they, they recruit all over the country. So these kids don't grow up, you know, bleeding crimson and, and crimson and white and, you know, wanting to be um, a part of the University of Alabama. It's just, there's just no kids that are like that anymore. Um so we were interested to see how this team responded. Uh, they come out, um, they they struck quick. They you know offense was was clicking, defense uh, was was making plays or getting sacks or forcing turnovers. They did did just about everything right. They didn't kick the ball down the damn hash. Will Riker did a good job on his kickoffs. Lester, you go on the road and you win by forty, and it seemed like the fan base. This is how spoiled the Alabama fan base is. It seems like, you know, there was still a lot of criticizing going on. So, uh, number one, just your all-around um, – just, you know, tell me what you thought of this all-around performance by Alabama. And then, you know, offense or defense, which one stood out to you more as, as the improvement from two weeks ago at Texas A&M? I think um, definitely defensively. Um, I'm going to reference Nick Saban after the Florida game, you know, after that disappointing performance. Um, Going back to what you said on the road, it's it's tough winning on the road in the SEC. And Nick Saban said that he had to, you know, tell his team that after the Florida loss, like, you know, disappoint, disappointing performance for sure, but don't lose sight of what you did. And what you did was go in and win in a hostile environment. And I feel like Alabama did that again on, you know, Saturday against Mississippi State. You win on the road and by 40 points, that's impressive. I don't care who you are. That's impressive. That's that's something that you can hang your hat on. And I'm I'm incredibly proud of the defense. Um, the goal of any Mike Leach offense is to have your defensive line, your linebackers, and your defensive backs in different zip codes on every single play. 
spread you out, drive you crazy. And this defense I didn't really see many busted coverages. You know, Will Anderson is, you know, he's a sophomore, but he's become the leader of this team going berserk on Saturday with, what, four sacks, I believe. You know, defense costs a couple turnovers. This is the type of performance that we should expect from the defense. Wreak havoc, cause turnovers, and let your offense capitalize off of that. You know, this is, you know, college football now is so offensive orientated, but when your defense can wreak havoc for the other team and your defense can frustrate them, create turnovers. Man, getting an interception is more hype than them scoring a touchdown, it seems like, honestly. Um, so, you know, really, really proud of the defense. Really, really proud. I hope they can capitalize on that. You see it. You, 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 you pick the ball off. You've made those, you know, we used to call it jackpot when you picked it off in the mouth. You know, take that out. So when you see that, when you hear your dogs calling that out to you after you've made that, you know, after you made that turnover, that's energizing. That's fun. And we need to see more of that going forward out of the defense. And uh, it's it's the consistency, like like you know we talked about last week. We I told you that I wasn't going to take too much away <clears throat> from this game, whether it was close or whether it was a blowout. Unfortunately, it was a blowout. Um, but you know the thing I'm going to take away from it is Nick Saban still having to call timeouts. He's having to waste timeouts because Bill O'Brien refuses to call the right play inside the five. What the hell are they doing Monday through or Sunday through Friday is my question. Well, what the hell do you do you do in the meeting? Do they just not talk all week? And he's like, oh, you've been a former uh, NFL head coach. You can just do what you want. Um, I, I find it really hard to believe as much as Nick Saban kept his finger, uh, his fingerprints on the offense whenever Lane Kiffin was calling plays. He was constantly chewing his ass. Um, publicly, privately, you've heard all kinds of stories. Yet Bill O'Brien just seems like he just continues to do what he wants. And Lane Kiffin's a hundred times um, the play caller that that Bill O'Brien is is turning out to be. I mean, I think the the offense was still good in, in between the twenties, um, and and you did score in, in the red zone. Um, but the fact that I mean, dude, what what if this is a close game? And then you have to eat a time, or you have, you have to spike a ball or something. I mean, what what if there's a situation where you're in a close game and Nick Saban has to waste a damn timeout because you won't call the right play on the goal line? You end up needing that timeout at the end of that half, whether it's the second quarter or the fourth quarter. That's just stuff that can't happen. And uh, you know, <clears throat> but I, I I wasn't gonna read too much into this game. I do think the defense played well, um, but I've got to see it again. And then in two weeks, I've got to see it again. Then you got to see it again. Then you got to see it again. And so I'm still not going to know, or I'm still not going to give my answer on whether I think this team is is the uh, is the best team in the country until you know week ten or eleven or whatever. Probably heading into the Iron Bowl. Um, if you beat everybody to sleep like you're supposed to, because everybody thought Alabama was going to struggle with Arkansas, or whatever. I don't think Arkansas is a good football team. I mean, they get beat by Ole Miss. Uh, they get stomped by Georgia, and then Auburn goes on the road and beats them. And I think Auburn's good. I don't think they're. I don't think they're by any means elite or, or a great team. But um, you know, this game was good. It, it was good. But you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to get fat and happy now? 
Are you going to get complacent again? How quickly does that set in is my question, Lester. Do you think that this team um, is going to get all fat and happy and then, you know, we showed people blah, 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 um, you know, we go on the road, win by 40. Or you, do you think they'll get complacent or do you think that this team is out for blood? learn more about this team. They shouldn't get fat and happy because your ass is lost. I mean, you have a blemish on that record that can creep up on you at any time if you lose again. And they got to realize that. Anytime. Anytime. So when there's, there's no reason for them to get fat and happy. Absolutely not. Because, you know, they look across the state. Auburn's looking kind of formidable. You know, if you if you beat Auburn, you're looking at Georgia. Look at how good they're looking. You have to face that team at some point. Like I, you know, the regular season, you know, it matters. You've got to win every game. But if the ultimate goal for this team is, you know, SEC championship, national championship, you've got to look at Georgia, and you got to look at yourself and say, we can't screw around. You cannot, absolutely cannot play with these guys. So you've got to keep going, keep pressing, and keep getting better weekly. Next time you play a game on the road, beat the team by 50. Do it. It's possible. It can be done. Um, but they've got to keep pressing. Freddie Freeman just homered, Lester. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm trying to keep my composure, but we're good. Yeah, we, uh, we, we are recording this during the uh... – the Braves-Dodgers game four. Um, Braves up 2-1 the series. Hopefully, by the time we release this podcast, I'll be at 3-1, but this is baseball. You never know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like the composure speech. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's just it's just such a different team as far as what from what we can tell. Um, because, dude, if you think about it, the kids in 2015 under – the age of 21 years old just seem to be so different than the ones now that are under 21 years old, just in six years, how much um, the, the younger generation has changed um, is pretty amazing to me because you got to think about it. I mean, that's when we were in college, you know what I'm saying? We wouldn't even think, and I I don't think we're old by any means. I mean, we're late twenties, but I, I don't, I don't think that we would have ever, done some of the stuff that the kids are doing now, you know, whether it's uh, their mouths, uh, they're in the entitlement. I, I don't, I don't know what it, I mean, talking about to your parents, I mean, golly, we do, we, we get slapped if we did that um, when we were 22, 21 years old. I, I know yours, your parents are the same way. Um, but so we, we, you really don't know. It seems I texted y'all the other day and I said, it seems like the kids today are just playing for a, for a TikTok highlight or an Instagram post. You know, they want to get a picture on Instagram, you know, have some caption, you know, whatever, you know, God got me or, you know, whatever they say, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. You see it every week. Um, but um, I, it, it was a, it was a good win. It was a dominating win from start to finish. Um, Bryce Young, man, let's just talk about Bryce for a second, dude. This guy's 20 out of 28. 350 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I think he's firmly in the Heisman seat um, over Matt Corral. Well, maybe not firmly, but he definitely is leading the Heisman race over Matt Corral because they have a head-to-head matchup. So we'll see how it plays out. Corral's going to have better stats, 
But you kind of hope Ole Miss drops a game or two because I think if they're 10-2 and two or 9-3, and three, they'll give it to a guy on, on a better team. But just give me, give me your, uh, your analysis of, uh, of Bryce Young through these first seven games and what this guy's been able to do, not with a subpar offensive line. I, I don't think we're – I think we're above average. I really do. But right tackle is below average. We've talked about him before. You've heard J-Law ran about him. Um, so just talk about what Bryce has been able to do, you know, despite a, uh, a weak right side of the offensive line. Yeah, despite, you know, 79 Chris Owens doing God knows what up there, the guy is surgical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, we question a couple throws here and there, but he's – what, what you're seeing is a what you're seeing is a guy who is in the middle of his first year starting at quarterback in college. This is what you're seeing, and he's doing exactly what you would hope that that particular player would do, which is get better week by week by week. You know, he's he's getting more efficient, surgical. Some of the throws he was missing early in the year that's going to get nailed down, and this going to be really, really impressive game 8, 9, 10, and further to see how he continues to progress. Because I really don't think he's really, like, scratched the surface of what he can truly do. You know, Bryce stepping up, starting to make a couple plays with his feet. You know, def- that's on film now. Defenses are looking at that. And we have to have the linebacker, you know, or, you know, a, a nickel DB, commit to, you know, keep some eyes on Bryce so he doesn't scramble for that, you know, third and eight, third and five, you know, second and five, or, you know, test on the goal line. Things like that are going to open up for your offense. It's going to it's gonna allow your receivers to be in more one-on-one situations. And he's going to see that. So I think, you know, thinking about Bryce, it's going to get really, really interesting and fun as he continues to progress. Speaking of the receivers, um, buddy, you found some explosiveness. Um, I'm not saying that this guy is going to turn into an All-American, um, but, you know, Treshawn Holden gets a chance to play. And, and when I say get a chance to play as a receiver, I'm not talking about going in there with the second team and blocking every play while the offense runs it three times and punts it. I'm not talking about playing time in that regard. I'm talking about playing time where you are a main piece in the route, in the route combination of a certain play, and, uh, and and I'm not talking about where Bryce has to scan number one, scan two, scan three, and then you're a checkdown. I'm, I'm not talking about that. Um, so, Treshawn Holden had had a, a slant route where he was the primary read. You know, we we ran kind of like a sail route and then a, a flat route, and then you know brought him off a pick into the slant. Um, and then he caught it, and he he ran after the catch. And it was nice to see somebody do that, not named Jamison Williams. Um, Mechie got open a couple of times, but there were still a lot of throws where Bryce just had to put it on the money. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, you see that Mechie has seven for 170 or 117. I mean, Williams has two, he, he catches two baseballs or two football. Sorry, I'm watching baseball, talking football. He catches two balls all night for 77 yards and a touchdown. One of them was a 75 yarder. Um, so obviously, you saw the explosiveness. And then you got Treshawn, who, who gets just three catches. That's it. But he turns it into 70 yards and a touchdown. Then you're sitting here, you scramble down, and then Slade Bolden, two catches, nine yards. So 
going to ask again. This is like the 10th week in a row we've done this. Why is Slade Bolden continuing to get to get routes? That, that's how I'll put it. Um, do you think that Trayshawn Holden? He's not tweeting about playing time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you, but now that um, now that Trayshawn got a shot and proved that he can do a little something with it, I mean, I don't think this guy's spectacular. But um, I'm not saying that JoJo Earl can't do the same thing, man. That that that's what I'm saying. I think there's guys there that are capable of explosive plays that aren't getting chances um, to make it, to be involved in the game plan. Let me say that. I mean, you know, when Trey Shine came in there, uh, the quarterback was looking for him. Um, you know, he was, I, I don't he, he was a part of the play. Let me just say that he wasn't out there stop blocking. And um, so do you think that, that a performance like this, even though it's only three catches, his yards after catch and, and the uh, you know being able to turn something out of nothing, uh, do you think this this warrants him more playing time? I mean, I know the answer is going to be yes, but tell me why. Just give me a reason why. In light of you know, Jai Hall and and this other kid, I really don't care anymore. But in light of the situation surrounding them recently, clearly Holden is doing what he's supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do, which is go to class, practice, be antenna, show up on time for meetings and stuff. Clearly, the talent is there for everybody on this roster. I mean, four and five star wide receivers are everywhere. Clearly, the talent is there. But, you know, if you're not doing what you're supposed to, Nick Saban doesn't care. He'll trot Slade or me or you out there before he plays somebody who does not do the right thing. And as frustrating as that can be, golly, as frustrating as that can be, that's Nick Saban's sword, and he's going to die on it. He's not going to play someone just because, oh, this guy's great, but he's not doing what he needs to do on the day-to-day basis. He's not going to bend his will because of that. So, clearly, Trayshawn is doing what he's supposed to do, and his talent is being allowed, is allowed to be shown on display on Saturdays, and it, it, it shows. So. I hope it keeps up, man. I hope he doesn't get the big head. You know, we talk about, you know, kids nowadays. I hope he doesn't get the big head. I hope he doesn't, you know, stop paying that attention to detail. I hope he continues to show up on class or, you know, meetings on time. Go to tutoring. Do you, Just do the right thing, bro, and you will shine on Saturdays. So, hopefully, you know, he's what we need, a flash in the pan, a spark, you know, another one. Clearly, we got Jameson, but he can be the other guy. So, I like it. I like it. And, you know, I hope he keeps doing the same thing he's doing and maybe he'll play more plays this upcoming week and further on into the season. Yeah. And, and I, and I think he, he damn well should. And it's the fact that, oh, you know, you, you might lose him. And when you see a guy play like this in a, uh, and I, I don't think it was a backup role. I mean, the game, did he score the last touchdown in the game? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember if he was the last touchdown of the game or not, but um, he, uh, you know, he 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 got to play with the starting offense, you know, starting offensive line. Bryce was throwing to him, um, so now he he's got it in his mind that he can do it right, um, and so now you look at the situation to where. Okay, he's more explosive in three catches than we've seen Slade Bolden in four years. 
or three years, however long his white ass has been there. Um, so I, I don't – I know it's a small sample size, but if he continues to put in the work, Lester, let me ask you, if he doesn't see um, – if he doesn't see more action – in the next three or four games and Saban continues to trot Slade out there, do you start to lose him a little bit? Does he start to be like, you know, well, I mean, I, I'm doing all I can, you know, I'm, I'm giving effort and practice. I'm working hard in the weight room, I'm going to class. I got playing time. I caught three balls for 70 yards in the touchdown. I caught for over 20, over 23 yards catch. I mean, don't you agree that if he doesn't get playing time the next three or four games that he starts to question whether he should move on or not? Makes sense to me. Yeah, but I don't think Nick Saban and the rest of that coaching staff are dummies. Um, like I said, if he continues doing what he's supposed to do, they see that. They know that. They they know the temperature um, of these kids nowadays. So, you know, I hope for Trey Sean's hope. But it doesn't matter, dude. It doesn't matter. Saban has proven in the past that he will not play the best player. He, he you can say he can oh, wait, say that yeah. all he wants to. It's not true because what Tua Tungavaloa did his freshman year in a backup role because they let his ass air it out. They gave him full full control of the offense. They were they were wide open. It was clear from day one that Jalen's sophomore year that Tua was was light years ahead of him and. He didn't get a chance until it was almost too late, literally the last two quarters of the season. So Saban will not always play the best player. Look at your right tackle right now. You cannot tell me. So J-Law says all the time, you cannot tell me that J.C. Latham or Tommy Brockemeyer or Damian George um, or Addie James uh, is is worse than, Chris, than what Chris Owens is giving you at right tackle. And it might be solely because – Saban talked him into coming back and using his COVID year. I mean, I, I, I there, that's got to be a reason. So Saban will not always play the best player. With the wide receivers, you have a rotation going on. Sure, the slate slate can't play every down. Um, so the where's, where's eleven been here and there? It's week seven. Where's eleven been? Where's it been? I, I mean, why now? I guess that's my question. He's- Got his head on straight. He's not been hanging out with the Jai Hall all day. So <laughs> maybe somebody's in his ear. So I don't know. And I think I don't know. I think Saban knows we've got to get some more explosiveness. At this point, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Trayshawn is just least screwing up out of all of them. I don't know. Maybe he's not doing right either. But he's doing more than the other guys. So he is gonna get a little bit more playing time. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, wide receiver. It, it's about like, it's about like running back. You you don't have to know the playbook inside and out. I mean, you know, you've got your route tree and every single. I mean, you've got hand motions to determine your routes, right? Most most offenses do. I'm sure Alabama's the same way. I don't know their offense by heart, but. Just, I mean, who cares if he doesn't know the play? Just tell him what route to run and let him go play football. You know, it's like a, it's like a running back. Hey, you go right here. I'm going to toss it to you, and you look for a hole and go. You ain't got to be a brainiac. You ain't got to know every every position of what the offense is doing on on every single play. Yeah, you know. So I don't, I don't know. It's Saban has talked every week about explosive plays. He's he's talked about that since. 
the spring. And, um, you know, we, we love it. We want explosive plays. We want to be <coughs> explosive on offense. Um, that's, that's all he talks about. And he's got some pretty non-explosive players out there. So, we'll see, I guess. Players need to do right. So, because Saban is not going to bend. He's he going to do it. Me, because you got to get this five-star on the field, but Saban don't care. <laughs> he ain't changing, yeah. man. He ain't changing. All right. Um, heading into the Tennessee matchup this week, um, big one in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Alabama looks to remain consistent. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Lester – you look. You take a peek at the schedule. Alabama's schedule was pretty front loaded. Um, you know, games one through seven were not easy. Uh, you know, you've got to go to Mississippi State. <clears throat> you've got to go to Texas A&M, to Florida. You got to play Miami, who everybody thought was good at the time, at a neutral site. And you got to play Ole Miss at home. So not not a lot of uh, of gimmies there. Um, and Alabama makes it through six and one. And now, you know, you're looking at um, four, gosh, what, four or five home games? And then um, and then you got to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah, you've got Tennessee, then you got your bye week, LSU at home, New Mexico State at home, Arkansas at home. And then on the 27th of November, you traveled to, to Jordan-Hare for the Iron Bowl. So the back end of Alabama's schedule is very favorable. Um, starting with Tennessee – in this game, I mean, I think Alabama was like a 27-point favorite, man. I mean, nobody's expecting it to be close. Do you think Vegas has this line right? Or Because, I mean, dude, look, Josh Heupel, this offense, if you can't find an answer early, they will score on you at will as South Carolina. When they, when they, I mean, I think Tennessee's had two or three games where they put up 60-plus points. They will score and score and score. They're going lightning quick. They're trying to run – 90, 100 plays on you. Um, you know, a lot of teams are faking injuries against them. We know Alabama will not do that. They would. They won't um, stoop to that level. They won't use that strategy. Uh, so, Lester, this game, do you think Vegas has this line about right, or uh, or do you think this game could be closer than the experts are predicting? I think it should be 20s by any means. Um I know I've just been watching college football over the course of the season. You know, you see Tennessee in the ticker, they score 39, 40, or, you know, 60. And like, you're like, what? Tennessee scored that many points? Um, it's, it, it shocked me a couple times when I saw that. And clearly, um, this team is a team to take serious. And not saying this is a, this is a, this is a trap game, but as you mentioned earlier, this is homecoming week. What does that mean? Distractions. Come, come to the sorority house and come help us pump or, or come do the podcast or, or come do some, I don't know, NIL homecoming week, shout my business out or whatever. This is, this is potentially a week where a lot of distractions can go on against a team who has proven that they can score a lot of points. They have nothing to lose. Um, under new administration, you know, I'm sure Hyper wants to make a good impression between, you know, his administrators, you know, people who hired him, and most importantly, you know, probably that fan base. You know, I'm sure they're not expecting to win, but you don't think he wants to wake up, you know, Monday morning and say, hey, we scored 
28, 30, 35, 38 points on Alabama. You know, now Alabama may score 60 and win, fair enough, but this is a team you've got to keep your eye on because they can score and they will score. <laughs> I mean, this is a this is a team, you know, they're averaging just under 37 points a game in SEC play. And their four SEC games, they're, they're averaging just under 37 points a game. So, yeah, they can score. And, and the problem here is this is everything Nick Saban is against. He's against the spread offense. He's against the hurry up, no huddle. Um, he's against the, the rapid, fast pace. He's against the no substituting. He's against all of it. And now he's got to go up against it. And another problem with Alabama, they've had trouble stopping the run. Um against, you know, affected teams that can run it and throw it. Of course, Mississippi State runs for negative one yard for the game just because of all the sacks and everything and because they threw, they dropped that like 63, 64 times or whatever. Um, but this team, they're going to go fast. They're going to try to get three to four yards on first down to put them in a, in a second six, second seven. And then that's, that's, that's the tough thing right there. If they get into a second six – they got a lot of options. They can throw something quick. They can run the ball again. Then they, they can they run it with the quarterback and running back. It's another problem Nick Saban has the dual threat quarterback. Um, or they can take a shot. And they they've proven that if they get three, four yards on first down, they can do all three of those. And you never know, you know, when it's coming. And then, you know, you give up a big play, you better, you better get your ass back on the line. You don't have time to get coached, you don't have time to get substituted. You got to really shake that off. So, I mean. You give up a, a whatever, a 15, 20-yard slant route or, or a post route over the middle and you bust a coverage, you got to go make a tackle. And, you know, you don't get to come out of the game and get talked to about what happened there and what broke down. You got to play the next play. So it's very important to have a short memory if you're on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, but I – it's just, <laughs> dude, the, the Alabama defense, Lester, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? We, they've been spectacular at home. Um, you know, the, really the only, the, the two debacles are Florida and Texas A&M, which are, you know, the, the two good road teams they played or the two, the two good teams they played on the road. So what are we going to get from this defense, man? Are, are we going to get this, this dominant, this dominant day that we had last week against a one dimensional team? Or do you think that Tennessee, that this high speed offense poses some problems for Alabama, not just up front, but um, the the inside linebacker play as well, because as we know, it hasn't been up to par. I'm not looking for a dominant performance. Um, as long as I don't know, I wish I wish the defensive line was better. The interior defensive line, you know, I wish we had some guys up there who can control the line of scrimmage, who can stop the run game, you know, who can make the game one dimensional. Um, this state is one-dimensional by scheme. Mike Leach ain't ever going to love to run the ball. So you don't have to make them one-dimensional. When you have a great defensive line, you can make a team know that you can't run the ball ever for 60 minutes. That ain't happening. And you can make a team one-dimensional. And I don't think that we have the, the interior defensive line or the linebackers to do that. So I'm not expecting a dominant performance, but I am expecting them to play a sound performance. That means no broken coverages, you know, no busted plays, none of that crap. 
So if they do that, then the defense, they're plenty talented, they're plenty fast enough, they're plenty good enough to relatively keep Tennessee in check. Yeah, and, you know, moving to the offensive side of the ball, Tennessee's the only the only bad thing about this offense is that, man, you go three and out, and you've wasted about 30 seconds off the clock, <laughs> you know, maybe a minute and 20. Uh, your defense gets gassed pretty quick. And so it's a snowball effect that you'll see whenever you're watching Tennessee play football in this type of offense. If, if they're rolling and they roll down the field, um, then, it, you know, it, it gives the defense confidence and uh, it gives them a little bit of time to rest, even though Tennessee does go fast. I mean, unless you have a 70-yard play. But, um, you know, if they're driving, even though they're driving fast, if they're taking two, three, four minutes off the clock, um, then then the defense is okay. Um, but the problem is, is if you have two, three and outs in a row and the time of possession, if the other team has had the ball for about eight and a half minutes and you've had it for about two minutes and 45 seconds, that poses a, re- a real issue because you tire out really quickly and, uh, and you can't play four quarters of solid football. So let's talk about what Alabama, if they stop Tennessee's offense, talk about, I mean, I think Alabama can basically do everything. I don't think, I don't think Tennessee can stop our run game. I don't think they can, uh, they can stop the pass game either. I mean, just tell me what you expect out of this offense. If the defense is able to shut down Tennessee's though. So please, they've got to find some more explosive plays, whether it's getting holding on the field more, you know, get Jameson Williams on the field more. Well, hell, keep feeding Brian Robinson. That guy's been a force this year. I'm so glad, you know, staying at Bama, bidding your time and look at you now, showing out. He's going to be shooting up draft boards, I'm sure, as the season goes on. But just an all-around game. Let's get – 200 rushing and 300 passing. I don't think that's out of the question. I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, I, it's, you know, and, and you wonder why somebody like B-Rob, he's got to be on the, on the senior, on the senior, on the leadership group or whatever that Nick Saban assembles every year. I mean, you would think, I mean, he's a, what, a fifth, six-year guy and, you would think that he would take some initiative and go talk to a guy like a Jai Hall who's over here tweeting, um, talking about playing time and shit like that. When Nick Saban's come out and said that he can't do the right stuff off the field, you figure that a guy like B-Rob or Chris Owen, somebody that's been here five, six years, need to go over and say something to the young man. Be like, look, dude, I'm the prime example. I mean, of course, whenever you come in from high school, you think you're better than everybody. Um, whenever you catch um, for – whatever, 30 touchdowns in a year and in, 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 at the high school level and you're the best player that you've played, um, you know, you're, you're the best player on the field every game that you play in high school. Whenever you're, whenever that's the case, um, it's easy to think that you're the best receiver in the world and think that you're Randy Moss at 17, 18 years old. And then when you come in, you, you, you just expect to, to contribute immediately. And, and I understand that. And that's, Kind of, if you think about it, that's a mentality that you want your incoming freshman to have. Um, but at the same time, you've got to be mature enough to understand that there's a process to this whole thing. You've heard Nick Saban talk about it for a freaking decade. Since these kids were like eight years old, talks about the process, the process, the process. These guys like Minka and Rolando McLean and Julio and all these studs that play in the NFL, um, they talk about the process. Maybe talk about Alabama or 
they talk about Alabama. Look at Trevon Diggs. That's the process. Dude came in as a, as a receiver. Um, I'm sure he had high expectations. His family had high expectations. His brother was a really good receiver in Maryland and, and in the NFL. They had high expectations for him as a receiver. All of a sudden, Nick Saban sits him down and say, hey, man, I want you to play DB. I mean, Trevon Diggs said the other day that he called his brother and started crying because, you know, he, he didn't want to do it. And he thought he was ruining his career. And, you know, Stephon told him to shut the hell up and play ball and work hard. And that's what he did. Um, but you think that Brian Robinson, in this case, could act like an older brother and go talk to him and be like, man, look, dude, like, we're going to need you. You need, We might not need you this year, but we're going to need you the next two or three years. And just get your head on straight. Stop thinking – stop taking everything so personal. Do the right thing and – Leave the social media stuff alone. You know, I saw that clip, you know, when all this Jai House stuff has been coming out, you know, that clip of Julio Jones like doing the whole shot series, basically saying the same thing. You know, if you're not going to do right, you're not going to play. But, you know, like you said, well, I've known you since you were 18. I mean, we've all been – 18 and bulletproof, 19 and bulletproof, 20, 21, 22, 24, and thought we were bulletproof. And, you know, and that's what these guys are. But, you know, you've got to have that maturity, that presence of mind. Hey, clearly he can dominate at this level. The dude was an A-day MVP going up against other five-star players on the best team in the country. Clearly, you can do that. But you've got to have that maturity, that that foresight to just do what you want to do, to do what you have to do. Go to class. No, no, that Thursday English at 8 a.m., that sucks. You know what? I've skipped them, too, because it's probably because I was at Wine Wednesday the night before. But you know what, dude? I'm not a five-star receiver who can probably dominate college football and go to the NFL someday. You know, you got to have that in front of your mind. Nobody wants ill intentions for the guy. I can tell you that much. Nobody wants, you know, of course you got these idiots on social media tell him, you know, he can get the hell out and all this crap, whatever. And, you know, he sees those tweets or whatever. Like you said, he woke up at you know, 630 and responded back to that one guy. You know, real fans don't want ill intentions for the guy. But you want you to get freaking smart. And wising up just a little bit, man. You know, nobody wants bad for the kid. We know he's talented. He knows he's talented. But he's got to do the right thing, and nobody can do that but him. You know, is, are there Rolando McQueen's in the locker room? You know, you get a little snotty nose kid like that, think he's hot shit and don't want to do, doesn't want to do it. He's going to get beat up by somebody. But these kids, they, they, they you know, it's like you said, it's a different age. That, that's not going to happen anymore. So, you know, you'd love to see a little bit more accountability from the leaders to hopefully talk to these guys, like you said. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, it's it's something that hopefully was addressed. You know, he came back on his Instagram and said, a wise man once said to create value for myself or whatever. And and, and the, the social media thing, I think, is big because I look at that as – um, I want eyes on me. Everybody look at me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. And nobody wants to hear that shit. Ain't nobody feeling sorry for you. You've had everything handed to you your entire life. Um, I mean, well, maybe not your entire life, but last couple of years of high school, you've gotten, you know, 
whatever you want on these college visits. I mean, you want girls, you want whatever, whatever, whatever they want, they get. Um, these guys are pampered like the like it's the freaking Pope coming into their campus. Whenever you're a big dog like he was, and uh, and I understand that that can be a little bit frustrating, but you can't tell me that Nick Saban doesn't tell you that you can come in and compete, and if you do things the right way, then you will have a shot to 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 earn a spot or whatever. I mean, you can't tell me this. We have all seen the videos of how he recruits. Um, you know, I know, I know damn sure he didn't say you, you're going to come in, you're going to start no matter what. I guarantee you didn't say that. Um, but you, you definitely don't need to take it to social media. If you have an issue, keep it inside the locker room. Don't put it out on social media. And, and I had a big problem with that. But anyway, um, moving on, Lester, you know, we've talked about Tennessee. Give me a score prediction real quick. What, what do you think this score can end up? Do you think, like, like I said earlier, do you think, it can be around the 27. Do you expect it a little bit closer? I'll say 48. I going to cover 27, 28 points. I, I, I don't see that. Um, this is very well possible, but, you know, I think Tennessee, they're going to come in, probably charged up, you know, looking to make an impression. So, yeah, I'll go with that score. I uh I can I you know a part of me wants to say that Bama can get into the fifties with this, um, but we know what Nick Saban loves to do. Uh, he don't want to embarrass somebody's family. Uh, if I was a head coach, you know it's it's your it's your dad's fault that he made you go to the University of Tennessee. Um, so I think you should be punished, and I think you should have eighty five points scored on you. Um, let's you, have you seen the Cumberland score of like the lo- most lopsided game ever? It's like two hundred twenty three to nothing. You seen those stats where they had like fifteen turnovers and yeah? Have you seen that box score? Georgia Tech versus Cumberland or something like that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Georgia Tech beat. I can't, I can't remember. Um, yeah, Georgia Tech did win the game. They beat Cumberland. That's what it was. Um, I want to, I want a game like that every time we play uh, Tennessee. That that's what I want the box score to look like. But um, you know, Nick Saban isn't going to do that. He's going to put in Paul Tyson. He's going to run the ball. Um, so I, I see, I see us. I think we can replicate the offensive performance from last week. I think we hang forty nine again, and um, I'm going to say forty nine twenty four. I think Tennessee maybe at seventeen, maybe gets a, a, a late touchdown against the second team. Um, I, I'm going to say forty nine twenty four. We think about that. I can see it. Um, once again, though, this defense may come out and impress all of us and keep them like 17 or something. You just never know. This is right. one of the most predictable teams ever. You just never know, man. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the reason that, that you know, that C word that I've been saying, consistency. That's why, um, that's why I keep saying that because they are so unpredictable. I mean, you come out against Miami – you know, all the headlines were, is this the best team ever assembled? You know, <laughs> that one doesn't miss a beat from 2020, blah, blah, blah. I mean, of course, nobody knew that Miami sucked at the time. But, you know, you come out against Mercer and then you, boom, you go to Florida and you squeak one out. And everybody's like, whoo, you know, that was the wake-up call for the defense. They get gashed. They give up 250 yards rushing, 450 total. That was their wake-up call. Now they're going to come in. They're going to grind, blah, blah, blah. And then you come back. You beat Southern Miss, and then you got the big showdown with Ole Miss. You know, me, I'm all worried. Hey, we can't stop the run. 
Uh, Kiffin goes fast. He's got a he's got a Heisman candidate quarterback, you know. And then bam, it's thirty five to nothing after the first drive of the third quarter. I mean, that was a beatdown. And defense, I think they held him to like under two hundred yards. I can't remember. I mean, it, it was in, in the first half that just dominated the game. And then you flip back to the other side. Man, this defense is elite. This is what we needed. You know, we needed the Florida game. Boom, we're rolling now. Going to College Station, act like you've never seen the football before. So, and, and I understand that teams are going to do different stuff against you. And, and I'm, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm be honest with you. If I'm a defensive coach, I don't even cut on the film of the other team. Uh, I, there, there's no way in hell that I would waste hours and hours and hours a week watching film on my opponent when they're just going to come out and do something different. It might be a wrinkle off of what they do. And so what I do, I just get their formations and I just use all kind of motions that I could think of. I'd have an offensive GA or whatever, draw up all kind of motions and then work against that. That's what I do. If I, if I was Pete Golding, because, you know, on the message boards, everybody's talking about how, you know, Texas A&M, their, their motions and shifts through us off and stuff like that. I mean, that's why I was talking about just go base, base defense and play ball and try to adjust to what they're doing. Um, but anyway, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head about the consistency thing. You don't understand what you're you – don't, you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, defense comes back last week, gets two interceptions, um, doesn't give up a touchdown, gives up three field goals against an offense that even though it is one-dimensional, it has been pretty explosive. It, it beat Texas A&M on the road. It took LSU to the wire um, whenever their team was – I'm still actually trying to win. Um, but, hey, let's hear, real quick before we get out of here, who do you think is the next coach down there on the bayou at LSU? Who, who do you think it's going to be? Probably someone who's not going to hit on administrators' wives or girlfriends. But I don't know. People keep throwing Jimbo around there, but I don't think Jimbo's going to leave. Um, I don't I, I don't think Kiffin's going to do it. Um Who's the guy, uh, Raging Cajuns, that you brought up? Napier? Is that him? Billy Napier, yep. I think, I think it's definitely going to be a name that nobody's really tossing around right now. Tabal or Kiffin or Jimbo. But, you know, I wonder if, if – if, oh, he freezes. He's sticking around trying to get back into the SEC. Now, that's something that the SEC is going to have to approve. And yeah. after all the mess that LSU's been going through, the sexual assault stuff, I don't know if he can hire a coach who <laughs> has been doing similar things at, his, at, at Ole Miss. I think LSU's trying to – they're going to do their damage to get away if I run the clean program for a little while. So, I don't, I don't know who they're going to get. But, you know, I don't know. He will be an interesting name. But we'll see about that. I think that uh, I think they'd be a fool not to throw a bag at uh, at Lane Kiffin. Um, just seeing him do more with less, and I don't think he has a, a bad. I mean, he, he doesn't have bad players, but he certainly doesn't have the caliber of talent that LSU can accumulate down there. And I mean, it, you know, a Lane Kiffin offense uh, with with this Jeff Levy tweak to it is very deadly. And I'm not saying that Jeff Levy would go with him to LSU because I honestly think that Jeff Levy gets a head coaching job here real soon. If not this year, then definitely in the next two or three years. Um, 
But, you know, Lane Kiffin, he, he's learned a lot from it, and he takes some of that with him. And you start running that with with four- and five-star caliber players, um, it, it can be dangerous. And then, you know, everybody talks about Ole Miss, Ole Miss's defense. It's because they have a bunch of three-stars back there. And, you know, talent's going to show up eventually. You know, the cream always rises to the top. You know that saying. Um, and, and so if he has – a defense with a pulse the last two years. I mean, this guy might win, you know, he, he might end up being 20 and four through two regular seasons at Ole Miss, which is really impressive. I mean, he lost, he lost games last year because of his defense and he's doing the same this year. Um, so it's, I, I think, I think they'd be dumb not to go to Lane Kiffin first. I don't think that Urban Meyer would take it just because Nick Saban's already given him a heart attack a couple of times. And uh, I just – I think I think Urban's done. At least – I mean, at least for a couple of years. I, you know, he, he does this, he'll, he'll disappear, and then he'll make a few TV appearances on Fox or whatever, then he'll get back to it. Um, I think it's – I don't want to say Lane Kiffin or bust. I don't think Luke Fickle would have a lot of success down there. I think Billy Napier is going to be really good – SEC football coach. Um, I hope it's at the University of Alabama after Nick Saban leaves because this guy's turned down SEC jobs already. He turned down the Mississippi State job. A lot of people saying he turned down the Auburn job, uh, him and Bill Clark at UAB. Uh, So I think those would be my top two. And I think he'd be a fool not to throw five, six million at Lane Kiffin to make him say no to you. You had a little bit of success down there. Many years when Saban hangs him up, we take LSU's coach again. <laughs> how, how, how much fun would that be? <laughs> that would be hilarious. That would be freaking funny. But yeah, they look, if Kiff went to LSU, all he had to do was just keep the five stars from just coming up. That's it. Alabama. That's all he has to do. Yeah. Stop them from going through from New Orleans through Meridian up 20 and stopping in Tuscaloosa. That's it. And they will build him a statue. Stop Nick Saban from plucking these guys out of our backyards and they come back that first weekend in November and kick our tails with these very same five stars mm-hmm. every year. And I, I think Kiffin can do it. I think I think he can stop those guys. From coming up to Scalusa, and you know, I this is offensive genius. Just have somebody run the defense for them, and with the resources and the passion that they have in LSU, Kip could do some damage, man. He would be a very dangerous man down there. So, but I, I that's just funny. I always joke about I kind of want Kip in that mama, but one day, not not right now, but uh, but yeah, he he would do he would he would wreck some shit at LSU for sure. <laughs> I think that, you know, as far as the Alabama stuff goes, I think he would be fun to have as long as he won. And the problem is you're going to have a lot of fans, thousands and thousands of fans that expect the next head coach to just pick up where Nick Saban left off in the playoff every year, you know, chance to win the national championship, heavy favorites in every game, double-digit favorites in every single game you play. It's not reality. Alabama fans have not been living in reality but like 15 times over the last decade, dude. I mean, goodness. 
by, you know, and the, but they've gotten so spoiled, they forgot how to lose. And that's why you saw so many blowups after the Texas A&M game on social media. You know, whether you got on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, there's a lot of, of dumbass bammers talking about fire this, fire that. You just forgot, you just forgot how to lose because you haven't done it in whatever, however many games they won in a row. So it's not a it's not an easy thing to do, but yeah, I mean Lane Kiffin would be fun at Alabama until he lost two in a row and then Whenever he starts tweeting and, and doing his little smart ass stuff, I think everybody's gonna be like, okay, dude, shut up. Like, you can't talk till you win. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Lester, you got anything to add? I'd say, what? Yeah, that, that's why I'm saying like 10 years. You know, Kiffin, so oh, yeah. you know, let's, let, let's get a mature Kiffin in here. But, uh, but no, nah, that's, that's it for me. Um, should be, you know, it'll be homecoming week. Uh, should be fun. It'll be a night game. Night game. Should be a great atmosphere in Brian Denny Stadium. You know, get those um, LED lights going again. Mm-hmm. So it should be should be really fun, really great atmosphere for everybody that's going to travel to Tuscaloosa for the game. Yep, night game, six o'clock kick under the lights and BDS. Um, second night game in a row, I believe. Lester wasn't Southern Miss a night game. Um, you know, you don't get to hear that too often, but uh, pretty special. Nothing like Bryant Denny Stadium under the lights. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, a lot of tradition in this game, a lot of pageantry, uh, a lot of hatred. And uh, those cigars are going to be sweet. And um, I'm looking forward to getting your videos of yours. I'm going to send you videos of of me and Paige and mom and dad and whoever else with ours. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, you know, everybody listening to this podcast, please send me a video you smoking your cigar because uh, I don't think there's a chance Tennessee wins this game. And so let's enjoy this, this hopefully an ass beating, um, but let's enjoy number 15 in a row, episode 47 of the Gumpurners podcast, Tennessee week, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, roll tide guys, we're out.